Luke 1, verses 1 to 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Are you sure? That's a really useful question to have in the toolbox of our lives for all kinds of life situation. Are you sure? When you're driving in the car and you've got some directions and it says turn left and then you look at the road and it's just overgrown and looks tiny and you think, are you sure? Or maybe you're baking a cake and it says three tablespoons of baking powder in the recipe and you think, are you sure? That sounds like an awfully big cake to me. Or maybe you're a nurse just trying to read a doctor's handwriting and you can sort of make it out, but, but you want to ask, are you sure? And you need to be sure in that kind of situation, don't you? There's all sorts of other situations you can ask. I mean, are you sure you want to live in that house? Are you sure you want to take that job? Are you sure you want to turn your back on that friendship? It's a really important question to ask when it comes to, to God too. Are you sure that God is there? and that he hears your prayers? Are you sure that God is good, that you can trust him? Are you sure that he wants anything to do with you? Are you sure that he can forgive you, that he has forgiven you? Are you sure that he gives, that there is meaning to life that can make sense of it all? I mean, just look around you and see all of the exhausting, futile suffering and ask, is there really meaning? Can I be, can I be sure? Are you sure? Because we need to be. And don't we? Those questions, those things are not small details of life that we should leave in the corner cupboard of the kitchen just to kind of leave unanswered there. We should be taking them out, dusting them off, looking them in the eye and asking, am I sure about this? And Luke wrote his book to help us answer those kind of questions. When we say, am I sure about Jesus? Maybe the biggest question of all. Luke wrote this book so that we could answer that question with a big, echoing, life-giving, confident, yes, I am sure about Jesus. See, Luke was a doctor, smart, educated, diligent, well-traveled. He knew closely lots of Jesus's his eyewitness followers. He lived at the same time as them. And Luke wrote this book to a man called Theophilus who was asking this question. Am I sure, can I be sure about Jesus? Theophilus clearly knew something about Jesus and what it meant to follow him, but, um, but this question was still like a stone in his shoe. We're not sure exactly whether he was already a Christian. I mean, maybe he was. Maybe he was a Christian walking with Jesus, but just struggling with doubts. Maybe he had a, a bit of a fog over some of the details. Or maybe he wasn't following Jesus yet. Maybe he was interested. He'd been hanging out with some Christians. Maybe he was listening online to some of their online services or whatever the equivalent was then. Maybe he was keeping his distance a little bit, not ready to commit. And Luke writes to him to help him out so that he can be certain that he really can build his life on Jesus. Wherever he is in relation to Jesus and wherever you are, whether you're already a Christian or just kind of flirting around the edges, Wherever you are, Luke is going to be really helpful as we read his book over the next few months. 
he's going to be helpful as he helps us to see Jesus through the eyes of the eyewitnesses. That's what Luke wants us to see, to see Jesus of Nazareth as he really was and is, to cut through all of the rumours and the secondhand opinions of people who just weren't there, to help us to make up our own minds about him. That's what Luke wants to help us to do. He wants us to be sure about Jesus. That's what Luke is all about, being sure about Jesus. So how can we be sure? Well, a couple of angles on that today. I want us to think about how, how to be certain, and two, what to be certain about. Well, how to be certain, how to be sure, to be sure about Jesus. First, we need to get an Irish person to read this, I think. But um, no, how, do we, how can we be certain? How can we be sure about Jesus? Well, we need to dig into the history and then we need to deal with our doubts. Maybe those two things are kind of wrapped up into one, but dig into the history is the first thing because Luke says, did you see it? That all of Christianity rests on the fact that something happened in history. You want to be certain? You want to know about Jesus? Well, then you need to go and dig into history because Christianity rests on events, not just on ideas, but on a person. You see, if the centre of Christianity is a person who publicly lived, who died publicly, who was raised to life again publicly, who appeared to many people publicly, and then all of that was written down, recorded, and, and spoken to people publicly, widely. So you can actually go and investigate it in history. You can see if it's true or false. You can get to the point of being sure or not. You see, that's pretty unique among the religions of the world. If you think about it, I mean, when it comes to something like Buddhism, if you were to discover that the Buddha never actually existed, it doesn't really matter all that much because what really matters is Buddha's ideas. Or atheism. If a famous atheist that you follow becomes a Christian, it doesn't really matter all that much because atheism is a set of ideas. It doesn't rest on a person. But Christianity is all about a person. So if you disprove him, you can discount him, then Christianity falls apart completely. Luke knows that, and so he goes and digs into his history and, and claims to be writing history. I mean, look at what he says. He says, people saw something, something happened. These things have been fulfilled among us, and they were handed down. Some people saw, witnessed what had happened, and they spent the rest of their lives handing down, passing on what they saw and heard. And then Luke, in his time, gathers up that evidence, goes and meets those people and puts it all together, weaves it into a carefully ordered account of what happened. He's the one who goes and finds out what they did and said and spoke to and all of that kind of thing and weaves it together into a story, a narrative, a history. But the question is, can you trust it? Can you trust what he wrote? Can you be sure that what he's writing is reliable? There's lots of angles that you could come at that question, but I think the easiest is just to read it, to go and take Luke home and spend an hour or so, it won't take you much longer than that, reading Luke and ask yourself as you read it, does this sound like eyewitness testimony? And what you'll find as you read it is that there are, among many other things that you'll find, just weird little details that pop out that don't really need to be there. One you'll find just a few verses on from what we read today in um, chapter one and verse, um, verse eight onwards, a man called Zechariah, meets an angel, has a vision of an angel, and he says that the angel was at the right-hand side of the altar. It's a strange little detail to drop in. Or if you go right to the end, the last page of Luke's story, and you'll see Jesus having a meal with his followers. After the resurrection, 
and they eat fish together and it tells you how they cook the fish that they broiled it that they barbecued they grilled it rather than making a fish pie or i don't know fish soup or something like that i mean why would you need those details the answer is you don't you don't need those details to tell a story but why are they there i think they're there the most obvious reason is because luke went and spoke to people who were there and they told him that that's what happened these this account, this story, reads like Luke actually spoke to eyewitnesses and wrote down what they saw, what they heard. Even the little weird details of who they touched and how they were feeling at the time. So, so he gets it really accurate. It really reads like history, all the geography and the local trees and shrubs, the minor character names, the little beefs that communities of religious Jewish followers have with each other. They're all really accurate and begin to seem like he really has done what he says he's done, carefully investigated from the beginning and put it all together. But could he have just made it up? I mean, a lot of it is quite outlandish. There's lots of miracles and just strange and wild stuff in the story. So could it be just like one of today's novels, maybe? You know, realistic and detailed? But no, that won't do really, because nobody back then, nobody wrote like this unless they were intentionally writing history. Luke writes in the style of somebody writing history, like other people did, writing the histories of Rome or Greece or wherever. They had legends and myths and kind of embellished stories that they came up with, but none of them were written like Luke has written. One professor of literature puts it like this. He says, I have been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends and myths all of my life. I know what they are like, and none of them are like this. When we come to the gospel texts, there are only two possible views. Either this is historical reporting, or else some unknown ancient writer without known predecessor or successor suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern realistic narrative of writing novels. The reader who doesn't see this, says this professor, has simply not learned how to read. It's a little bit condescending there. But he's saying that nobody wrote novels like this back in the day. They either wrote history or they wrote legend and myth. No novels, kind of realistic, well-researched novels that sound like history, quite a recent thing. Okay, so Mr. Condescending Professor, here's our next question. How do we know it was written back then and it wasn't just some recent invention? Well, we know that because Luke was a travelling companion of the Apostle Paul. He was friends with a guy called Paul, who, who was a very significant teacher. And so Luke wrote a sequel which is all about the early Christian church, and Paul is one of the major characters in it. Now that sequel, the second book after Luke, his story here, ends with Paul in Rome, alive. But we know that Paul died in about 62 AD. That's about 30 odd years after Jesus died and rose again. So if the sequel ends before Paul dies, I mean, it would be pretty important to put his death into a story about him. So, so we know that the sequel was written before Paul died, about 62. We know then that this book was written before the sequel. Are you following this? This book that was written before the sequel, the first book, must have been written even earlier. So it's 20 years around then, after Jesus's life and death and resurrection. That means it's within the time of the eyewitnesses. So you could go and take some of these stories that you heard off Mr. Luke, Dr. Luke, and look the people in the eye. Look the people who were there in the eye and ask them, did it really happen like this? Did you really hear him say this? Did you really see him alive? See, it was written really early. So next question, how do we know it hasn't just changed over the centuries? That what Luke really did right back then is what we have today.
Well, if you ask that question, you want to get into all of the manuscript evidence and all the thousands of copies that we have of fragments of Luke and whole parts of Luke from really early on that can make you, if you do your um, study and if you do your digging, that can get you to a point where, where you realise beyond reasonable doubt that what Luke wrote down is what we have today. You really get to that point if you do your digging in history. And so what we begin to realise is that this is not some myth or legend. No, this is a painstakingly careful work of history that tells us reliably what Jesus said and did. Now, if you want to get into that more, and we don't have time for it right now, but I'll put a link um, down below on the YouTube video or Facebook video, and you can go to uh, listen to a kind of hour-long lecture with PowerPoint and everything given by a guy who's a, uh, a scholar of, kind of New Testament stuff. Um, go and have a listen to that. It'll be a good starting point for getting even deeper into history and that kind of thing. But I wanted to move to another question now. And just think a little bit about doubts, because in all of this talk about certainty and, you know, being beyond reasonable doubt, I think it might be helpful to say a little word about doubts, because there are questions. There are questions that we might have about Jesus that aren't fully answered by digging into the history. There's lots of other things that cause us to doubt or to just be unsure about following Jesus. Some of those things are really personal. And maybe you've been wrestling with those kind of questions or doubts for decades. So I want to plead with you this morning. I want to plead with you not to bury those doubts, not to just swallow them down or to be embarrassed of them. Because, I don't know, because you think that Christians should never ask hard questions or something like that. No, we want to be a church, we aspire to be a church that answers honest questions with honest answers. We want to give honest answers to honest questions, even when that honest answer is that I don't know. So please don't doubt alone. Share your questions with somebody else. Don't be afraid that it will infect them or shake their faith. Maybe their faith needs to be shaken a little bit. I mean, just look what happened when Theophilus shared his doubts. We got Luke's gospel. Um, Theophilus, somehow, we're not sure exactly how, but Theophilus's doubts become public. His uncertainties get known to Luke. And so Luke, his friend, gets to work helping him out. He digs deeper and works harder to find evidence, to uncover eyewitness stories, to give his friend a good answer for his questions. And, and surely that would have strengthened Luke's faith in the process, wouldn't it? And so we get Luke's gospel. I don't think we would have had this at all if Theophilus's doubts and questions had been kept private. See, Luke's writing to help him out. And we need to help each other out. So don't doubt alone. Tim Keller puts it like this. Faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do, they'll find themselves defenceless against either the experience of tragedy of dark times or the probing questions of some smart sceptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she's failed over the years to listen patiently to her doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts. You see, we'll only have healthy, living faith if we face our doubts. If we go to all of those are you sure moments and face them head on and, and bring them to the solid reality of Jesus and all that he said and did. So that takes us on to our next point. What is it exactly about Jesus that Luke wants us to be certain about? What is it he wants Theophilus to be certain about? Well, it's whatever he'd been taught 
He wants him to be to know the certainty of the things that he's been taught. Now, we don't ex know exactly who taught Theophilus or what he'd been taught, but I, we can imagine that it was basically what Luke writes in his gospel, that Theophilus knew the bones of the Christian story. And Luke has written here to kind of put flesh on those bones, to, to flesh it out, to make it into something, instead of kind of being bony and rickety and, and drafty, into something which is alive and colourful and warm and living. Luke wants Theophilus to know certainty and to know life. So I want us to imagine for a moment a conversation between Theophilus and Luke. Theophilus telling Luke what he's heard, what he's been taught, and then Luke giving him certainty about those things. That's really what we'll read as we get through these next few months, as we look through the story. Imagine Theophilus having, having Luke come along and build up his faith, fill in all the gaps, ask, help him to answer all of those big questions. So imagine this conversation where Luke says something like this. What have you heard then, Theophilus? What did they teach you? And Theophilus says, well, I've heard a bit about who Jesus is. I've heard that he was the one who, who brought God onto the field of human history, so to speak, so, so that we could encounter him. I've heard that they called him the son of God, that he was promised years before and that he, he came into the world, that it was like God speaking into the world again, as if the script writer of history wrote himself into his own story. And then Luke would say, yes, it's true. That's true, Theophilus, you heard right. Now let me tell you how it happened. It's a weird story, a little bit strange about a young woman in a small backwater town called Bethlehem. It's, it's the Christmas story that we know so well, but, but maybe Theophilus didn't know. And so Luke begins to unpack and fill in all the gaps of Theophilus's understanding of Jesus. But what else did you hear, Theophilus? What else did they teach you? Well, I heard a bit about what Jesus was like, that he was gentle and gracious, with those who are broken and beaten down, Theophilus says. I heard that, that he didn't give an inch to the religious people who wanted to squash others into that, their loveless moulds of rules and regulations that, that cut them further away from God. I heard that he hung out with nobodies and sinners, with debt collectors and home wreckers and all the kinds of people that everybody else rejected. I heard, I heard that he was welcoming to them and that his welcoming love transformed them beyond recognition. I heard this story about him being like a father who welcomes home a son, this son who's taken all his money and then run away. I heard that he forgives us. And then Luke would say, it's true, Theophilus. Yes, he really is like that. And I met some of those people. And I've told you, I've written some of the stories of others of those people. And let me tell you, just once again, for old time's sake, the story of that father with his two sons. What else did you hear, Theophilus? And Theophilus would say, well, I heard that he didn't just tell stories or speak about forgiveness, but he died to make it happen. I heard that he, he set his face, that he chose, he knew what he was going to do, and then he went and did it. He went and died on a cross for his enemies to, make, to take all of our mess and our sins, all of our shame and our pride, to carry it all away and to bury it six feet under forever. And I heard that with his last breath, he prayed for the people who were killing him and he blessed them. It's true, Luke would say, it's true. I spoke to the people who were there and they saw it. He really did do that. And let me paint a picture of that scene as Jesus died. I'll paint a picture of it for you such that you'll see that it was for you. 
It was for you that he died. Forgiveness is for you, Theophilus. And for you, whoever you are that's listening to this. But what else did you hear? I mean, did you hear the end of the story, Theophilus? That bit that nobody saw coming, that was hidden in plain sight. But of course I did, says Theophilus. I did hear it, and I can't quite get my head around it, to be honest. But I heard that three days later after he died, the tomb was empty. A tomb that had been guarded by soldiers and sealed with a stone. But the women came and they found it empty. And then they saw him alive a couple of times. And and Luke says, (laughs) he can't hold himself back. He says, it's true. And Theophilus, it's the kind of truth that makes your heart burn. They saw him, they did see him alive in ones and twos and hundreds over and over again. And just by the way, the tomb wasn't empty. The tomb had folded up grave clothes in it, as in the, the, the clothes around his, his dead body. They were folded up there. Nobody stole his body. He was alive, alive. And they sat with him and they spoke to him. And they talked with him and they ate with him and they laughed, cried and embraced him. It's true, Theophilus. It happened. You can know that for certain. Jesus is alive. Sins are forgiven and death is dead. Can you imagine how Theophilus would be feeling as he read through this book? I hope it's the same things that we'll feel as we read through it. That we'll read with fascination with joy that grows as our fragile faith is clothed with certainty, that our courage will grow as we realise it's true. I can know the certainty of the things I've been taught. It's as if Theophilus is standing there in a storm of his own doubts and uncertainty. And then Luke comes along with a shovel and starts to dig and dig. And gradually, as he keeps on digging, he uncovers this enormous rock and he digs deeper and deeper and it just never ends. He can never get underneath This rock, it keeps going down and down to the depths of the earth. And Theophilus begins to realise as he reads, as Luke digs into the history, that there really is, there really is a solid rock that you can build your life on. And that that rock's name is Jesus. You see, these truths aren't just nice stories for you to hold. These are truth that holds you. These aren't just stories about about Jesus that we hold on to but they are the truth that holds on to us and he will hold us fast but the thing is you'll only really ever be sure and certain if you do come and start building your life on him you'll ever know that the recipe works if you bake the cake you'll only ever know that the directions were reliable if you follow them and so what does Luke say He says, come and build your life on the rock of Jesus. Come and start building on him and then you'll know. So how do you do that? Well, maybe you've got lots of doubts and questions still. Well, how do you do that? Dig into the history, face those doubts, come and read Luke's gospel, find a Christian that you know and ask them big questions. Dig into the history and see what you make of it and make of Jesus for yourself. Well, maybe you're ready now. Maybe you've still got a few questions, maybe plenty of questions, but you really want to start building on Jesus. You want your life to be all about him. You want to say goodbye to the past and come and know certainty and life. You want to know forgiveness. You want to have hope for the future beyond death. Maybe you're ready to take that right now. And so I'm going to pray and you could follow along with me if you like. These aren't magical words that I'm going to say. They're just really a prayer that we should be praying as Christians every day of the week. A prayer where we commit our lives to God, where we say sorry for the past where we say thank you for all that he's done in Jesus. 
and where we look to the future, put ourselves into his hands. So let me pray. You can follow along with me if you like. Lord Jesus, we thank you that this is true, that it's certain that Luke didn't just write some legend or myth, but that he wrote what really happened, that we can know that Jesus is the son of God, God walking in the human history, that we can know he came to love us and forgive us and draw us close and welcome us home, that he came to die for us and to rise again to give us hope for the future. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've, what I've done, the mess that I've made of my life so far. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me to clean all that away. And I thank you for rising again to give me hope for the future. So Lord, I ask that you would make that hope mine today. Make it mine afresh today. That I walk with you and build on you and live with you and for you from this day forward for the rest of my life. Amen.